Hey everybody, thanks for connecting for another episode of Masters of Divinity. We have Reverend Kelly Parrish Lucas, an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ, a person who lives with a disability and who has been in the, um, if you want to say, ministry. Um, with those who have a disability for a very, very long time. And uh, um, a personal friend, person who I went to seminary with, uh, was there for her ordination. And um, and this is kind of a special episode. They all are, but um, it gets to a point, I know that it's somewhat lengthy, around 40 minutes, but gets to a point if you can um, hang in for long enough uh, where she talks about what it's like uh, to have a sense of calling as a person who has a disability specifically or particularly with speech uh, and to have a calling to ordain ministry um, with that is a very very special thing and she talks a little bit about um, an experience that she had and so I would uh, stay in for that as well as the fact that basically the conversation with her my question to her was you know if you have a person in ministry who's kind of starting at zero with being in ministry with those who have a disability then how is it that we're supposed to do this and what are we supposed to understand about it and I hope that you're um, able to learn something from this very special conversation so thank you kelly and thanks to you for connecting this is masters of divinity um the next season from the last seminary uh, let's get right to it i'm the reverend kelly parish lucas i am ordained in the united church of christ and i've done various things in my ministry i've worked as a hospice chaplain I served as the secretary and then the chair of the United Church of Christ Disabilities Ministries. That was a six year stint. And I'm currently serving a local church of the UCC. I'm pastor of the first congregational church of Rock Springs in Wyoming. I've also been involved in the wider church. Um, been involved in ecumenical work with the World Council of Churches, and I'm currently the coordinator of the Ecumenical Disability Advocacy Network in North America. So this group, known as EDEN, um, has a coordinator in each of the seven regions of the world. And um, so I kind of coordinate for North America and bring people together um, to assist the World Council of Churches with disability issues. So I think you're right. In a lot of ways, it's similar to other types of ministries and in some important key ways, it's very different. So ministry with persons with disabilities is First and foremost, it's being part of the body of Christ. It's recognizing that some people have disabilities and they are still called into the body of Christ and they are still gifted with a ministry by God. I don't think that in my introduction, 
I actually said, or perhaps this is a good place to remind people that I am a person with disability. I was born with disabilities. And as most people do, I have acquired disabilities as I've lived in the world. So I have different types of disability. And so at one level, disability ministry focuses and centers the ministry and gifts of people with disabilities. In another way, it welcomes and invites the ministries of people with disabilities in the church. So that's probably how it is similar to other ministries of marginalized people. The key way in which it is different is that up until the 60s or 70s, um, well, really into the 70s, there were ugly laws in the United States. Most people don't realize this, but the ugly laws were actually on the books. And they said people with disabilities could not be seen in public because we were so offensive. And so a lot of disability rights work was done in the 60s and 70s um, just to allow people with disabilities to be seen in society. And so there's an emphasis on inclusion. We want people with disabilities to be included in society. And so when we come to disability ministry, we want people with disabilities to be included in all aspects of church life and also to advocate for their inclusion in society. So the way in which disability ministry may be different than other types of ministries that focus on marginalized people is we do not want separate disability ministries. That is very problematic. Uh, what we want is to be fully included in the church. And so that's where you get into a need to have accommodations in the church, in church education. Uh, one thing that has rarely been touched upon in disability ministry, but we're getting to the point we can discuss it, is how people with disabilities may engage differently in mission and discipleship. Well, I think the big thing to understand, and I may be jumping ahead in our conversation. No problem. But um there was this activism to make the world accessible to people with disabilities in the 70s through the 80s and part of that work was working to establish the americans with disabilities act and 
So I grew up in this time where I was being more and more included as I grew up. And the place I found where I had the least access was the church. And I never understood it. And I was taking a liberation theology course in seminary. And there was an article in the textbook about disability liberation. And it blew my mind. It changed my life. Bells went off in my head. And I became very, very angry when I read this because the history we forget, the history that the disability community does not even talk about because it's so shameful is the fact that when the ADA was being negotiated in society, um, it was the Christian community and the churches that opposed it. It is the only major civil rights legislation that has been opposed by churches. And the reason for that is there was a real fear among the churches that they would have to alter historical buildings, which could have been very costly. And that is an understandable concern. But that caused a lot of problems that caused a wound to the body of Christ that has not healed and has not in many ways ever been acknowledged. So I did hear a disability activist speak on this issue. And the way the disability activists within the church were looking at this at the time was that they didn't want the government to tell the church what the church should do. That's also a valid concern. But it put the church in a place where the church said, well, we don't want to be included in the legislation. We'll do it on our own. That was a completely empty promise the church never lived up to. And so fast forward 30 years later, we often talk about Sunday morning being the most segregated time of the week, right? Between different marginalized group and the, the majority. Sunday morning is also the most inaccessible time of the week. A lot of churches say, well, we don't, we haven't made ADA renovations because there's no one who needs it. Well, guess what? They could never get in in the first place, so they don't need it. So they've never come because they can't get in the door. Um, it's the equivalent inaccessible buildings we have to understand are really the equivalent of putting a sign at the front door of your church and saying, this racial group is not welcome. 
the sexual minority is not welcome. If your church does not have an, if the front of your church is not accessible, people with disabilities are not welcome. We live in a society where it is no longer acceptable to expect people with disabilities to use the back door. Now, if we expected that of any racial group, we know there would be an outcry and a riot, right? But no one ever considers what that says to people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. So, so there's a problem in our churches that's been created by churches not living up to the ethic of justice. I think when we talk about discipleship and mission, it might be helpful if we do a little bit of theological thinking about disability first. Great. Um, so theologically, there's two thoughts, right? There is a historical thought of if you pray enough. So let's start with the negative theology. The negative traditional theology, which is still active in too many churches in the US, but is also predominant in other parts of the world, is that if you have enough faith, if you pray enough, you will be healed. Well, we all know that doesn't always happen. And, and there are some problems with that theology because it puts all the responsibility for disability on the individual. There's another theology which is something we find in liberation theologies of disability. It's also in the World Council of Churches most recent theological statement on disabilities, which is called the gift of being, and it can be easily Googled. And that is that disability is part of the creation. And all people are created with gifts and limitations, right? I mean, the story of the Garden of Eden is as much about limitations and what human beings should not do as it is about the creation of human beings and the world. So if you think about disability as part of God's intention for creation. That changes things, doesn't it? And I think these two views of theology, they, they mirror the social, 
a sociological approach to disability, which changed in the 70s, as I already mentioned. So prior to the 70s, we dealt with what is called the medical model. And that medical model said that disability is a medical issue. It has to be addressed medically and it resides in the individual experiencing the disability. This led to a lot of problems. This led to people with disabilities being institutionalized. It led to people with disabilities being locked in their homes. It led to people with disabilities not having access to public education till the 1970s. Think about that. What other marginalized group has systematically been denied education until 40 years ago? So that's the medical model. That's the model that said, we're gonna design the world with stairs instead of ramps. So one of the changes in this in viewing disability has been a shift from this medical model to what we call the social model. And the social model says disability exists in society. And disability is a social issue. And when we build physical buildings that keep people with disabilities out, we create segregation and discrimination. When we don't change laws to say it's illegal to discriminate against people with disabilities, we create an unequal society. So the social model says disability is a social issue. And to have an inclusive society, we need to have physically accessible buildings, but also we need to have attitudinal accessibility, which means we're doing things to actively include people with disabilities in society. And so that's when you start seeing people with disabilities allowed into schools. Um, it's when you see a big change in language around disability. And it was a difficult transition and not everyone has made the transition between these two models because it also, takes power for defining people's lives out of the hands of medical doctors. And we can talk more about that specifically related to COVID, which is a huge issue right now. Oh, <laughs> yes. And I almost want to hear you say it again, because I think there's so much there. And I don't I don't want to address the issue for the disability community. Right. Yes. I think I just need to talk from my personal experience because yes. the disability community is so diverse. That's right. 
um you know and there's 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 intra-community struggle about 100%. who actually gets to define themselves as there you go. disabled right yes. yes um which happens in other marginalized right. groups 100%. too and um so it's interesting because people have to get to know me to accept me in the disability community mm. on a lot of levels um so i think one of my biggest disabilities has been my speech impediment so which people listening might be really confused about but um because of my other disabilities mm -hmm. i had a severe speech impediment mm. i was in speech therapy till i was 14 years old when i revolted and refused to go back and so for a part of my life people could not understand what i said and they would ask me to repeat myself or they would assume I'd said something that I couldn't say. Um, in moving, I found some documentation from my early school experience in which my mother actually had to fight the school district for specific speech therapy. I was no more than five at the time these documents were written. And one of the things my mother was demanding was they teach me how to say my name. I could not say my own name. So this caused so many problems. You can imagine the social implications of that for a young child. And um, I was actually really taken aback to see in this paperwork how that manifested in anxiety and anger. <laughs> and those were issues going on. So um, I, I would say, and this is not something I've publicly shared before, but I think my experience with disability is I struggled to understand why God made me so wrongly. Um, because there is that theology, God doesn't make mistakes and God makes everything good. Well, the gap was a, the social assumption that having a speech impediment was bad. Um, that not being able to communicate is bad. It's not bad. There's many ways to communicate, right? It doesn't all have to be verbal. Um, most of our communication is not verbal. So I think as a young person, I really struggled to understand 
not only why would God do that, but what does that say about God that God would do that? Mm-hmm. So what's kind of your, when you hear that as a trained theologian that I know you are, <laughs> what, what well, do you say to that, James? <laughs> I, I think that uh properly trained theologian would listen for as long as possible and 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 just try and uh, not necessarily put myself in your shoes but put your shoes on me Mm. and uh and see how they fit and um and which kind of one wanted me to ask like well where did you get with that struggle I mean, where? I mean, you're not 14. Not you're not 15. Sorry, uh, maybe close to 23 or so. But like, I mean, you already you went through seminary, so you got to be 25 or so. But like, what? <laughs> what would you say? I mean, where did you get with that? How? What was your progression like? I I don't want to. I mean, I don't want to just kind of you know you know, kind of, you know, escape from your question for myself, I can come back to myself. But you know, where are you at? Well, it is a progression, right? And I think I think it leads me to understand that the church has a lot of anger, it needs to deal with and I've got some really good antidotes, but to not sidetrack myself from your question. I I think I just saw my life unfold in such a way um, that these no longer became issues. I mean, I still occasionally have a family member who will say, you know, maybe you should go back to speech therapy. And I say, yeah, no. But um, yeah, the girl who couldn't talk you know, way before I was 10, like I was probably eight or nine and I was in the church building one day and I, I knew I was called to preach. Like there was, so I just, I always lived with this cognitive dissonance, right? Knowing I was called to preach and not being able to speak. Well, I could speak. People couldn't understand me. Like, so I guess I just learned to live in that mystery and that wonder, which if you get right down to it, that mystery and wonder is really what it means to worship God. Um, it's really what it means to live in faith. So there's something about living with the mystery that my disabilities provided for me, but also finding how my personal gifts were going to push me into that mystery. So the girl with the speech impediment who was called to preach and thought, oh, well, that's like the most ridiculous thing ever, kind of went off and forgot all about that, which meant forgetting about God for a while, too. And and um because it didn't make sense and 
as a youth, I was not welcome in youth group. Um, I was made fun of in youth group. So it was not a community for me. There was no church community for me. And um, until later in high school, when we changed churches, uh, we returned to a church where people knew me um, when I was much younger, when we were so young, it wasn't an issue, right? Because we hadn't learned the social stigma that a speech impediment is bad. And so they just couldn't see me that way because they'd known me. But um, but it was interesting because my own interests and in gifts, the girl who couldn't speak became a spoken word artist doing poetry on coffee house stages. And then God came back, right? Hello, go preach. <laughs> so, so I had to make my peace with that, which wasn't always easy. So, Probably not. <clears throat> um... Well, you know, because you went to seminary where I did. So that day, that day in Kathy Black's preaching class that I know you took to, um, you you have some preliminary classes, and then the time starts to comes to start listening to one another preach, and she sits you all down in the chapel. Right? Do you remember what she did? Not at that moment. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Every, uh, I think the way that we learned was uh, here's uh, everyone's going to listen to each other preach and then we're going to evaluate each other. Right. But before that started, she sat us all down in a circle and anointed each one of us. Oh, yes. With with oil. Yes. Do you know what that did to me? <laughs> a whole lot of good. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I ran physically, which is not something that was easy for me to do. Mm. And I ran into the desert plant reserve behind the seminary. Yes. And I sat in the cactus and I bawled until I couldn't anymore. because it was that cognitive dissonance mm -hmm. it was like the coming together of all of that and even though people could understand me at that point you know people still would ask questions like where are you from you have a strange accent mm -hmm. i get that frequently and i'm like Oh, I'm from here and they don't understand. I don't even get into, well, I have my own accent. Mm -hmm. Only I have this accent because people don't understand. And frankly, they don't need that much of my story. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it's, 
it was that cognitive dissonance. And when you live with a speech impediment, even when you can communicate, there's always the feeling of, well, even if they understand what I'm saying, will they listen? Because the whole thing about a speech impediment is people assume it's there because, because you have a cognitive issue. They assume you are stupid. Right? Mm -hmm. And I've encountered that in professional settings. Mm. You know, when I first went to do my clinical pastoral education, um, I got some feedback that the nurses all thought I had a developmental delay because of the way I spoke. Mm. So that was fun. That was completely off base and a total lie, but that's the perception that I, as a professional, have to deal with. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and there, there are many churches, even searching for a church. There's many churches and many people of faith who still believe if you have a disability, it's because you're not right with God. And it took me 10 years to find a church. And I have kept those letters. I have letters where church people say, well, good luck, and we don't want a pastor with a disability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how can ordinary people in ordinary churches support you know there's the building of ramps that mm -hmm. we talked about an ada style type of things um but you're an ordinary minister you understand right. certain things COVID, up uh, uh probably you know uh the, like you've mentioned brings up certain things um so i'll just leave it up to you to kind of teach us or to at least guide us what are some things that probably just, you know, quote unquote, ordinary churches and ordinary people um, should keep in mind? So I mentioned the problem of the church and the ADA. Um, essentially, if you think about that, what that really means is our society went and changed the structure before they changed the hearts and minds, right? Mm. So I think in the church, we have to do it the other way, mm. since we are exempt from the ADA. Our job in the church is to change the hearts and minds of our culture and our, our theology so that we do what we need to do to welcome what people with disabilities into the church. So there's a lot of tools out there. I know in the United Church of Christ, we have a full curriculum that really helps people understand attitudinal accessibility. Um, there is 
And that has to do with a lot of things. It has to do with the language we use. Um, if your church has blue parking spots that are labeled handicap parking, please change that to disabled parking. Handicap is a slur word. Um, I find it very offensive, always have. Language has changed. Our churches have not caught up. So we need to pay attention to our language. We need to pay attention to how we teach. You know, growing up as the girl who was never supposed to walk, talk, or feed herself, but did all of those things before she was a year old, um, I'm always, I've often been called the miracle child. And I have a very strange relationship to this notion of miracle. So I think we need to be careful about how we use theological language in relation to real people. And that becomes a real issue whenever we preach or teach any of the healing narratives in the Gospels. Please don't do that again until you've read Kathy Black's healing homiletic. I'm serious. I tell pastors that. Don't preach another sermon on those until you've read her book. Um, so we need to be teaching attitudinal awareness. And we also above, there are two things above everything else. One, the disability rights motto in the 70s was nothing about us without us. Mm. So do not make any changes in your church without consulting actual people with disabilities. If you're putting screens in your church, thinking the big font on the screens are going to help people with visual impairment, you've not spoken to anyone with visual impairment. Hmm. They need that paper. Um, and they need it in large print. So there's things people do thinking it's going to make them more inclusive and more accessible. And sometimes if they don't actually talk to people with disabilities, they get it wrong because there's assumptions made. So we need to be checking out our assumptions. And if you don't have someone in your congregation, your denomination likely has a group of people with disabilities you can talk to. You can contact the North American group of Edan. Um, if you're outside North America, I can put you in touch with the coordinator for your region. There are groups out there who will help you do that. So nothing about us without us. Work on the attitudinal accessibility. Watch how you preach the healing narratives. Um, watch how you use theological language around healing and miracle. And I think we need to be open to people with disabilities who have their own ministries, things that God has put in their hearts that they are called to do. And we need to 
empower that. That's the true liberating step in all of this. We not only include people with disabilities in the fullness of our churches and congregations, but let the kid with a speech impediment read the scripture. Um, maybe you don't always need to use the pulpit that's up three stairs on the chancel. I mean, just be open to doing church how it might work best for the body of Christ because no disability is experienced the same way by two people. So if someone says, I need this this way for this to be accessible, don't go say, well, so-and-so who also uses a wheelchair or a scooter didn't need it that way because we all navigate the world as individuals and just meet every person with a disability as an individual let them teach you be curious and they'll teach you <laughs>